But uh, how many of you know that Tuesday is Veterans Day? Do you know that? Tuesday is Veterans Day. And uh, I need the house lights up for just a minute. I'm going to do something. Let me ask you if you can. Uh, if you are a veteran in our church today, would you stand? If you're here today and you're a veteran, you have served as one in one of our um, many branches of, of our armed forces. We appreciate you. Remain standing if you would. If you're a family member of those who have served as a veteran, a family member, join them in standing. If you're a family member, they have sacrificed as well. We thank you for that. Let's give them a round of applause. If you know of anyone that has died as a result of serving our country in a foreign activity, would you stand? Let's give them a, a round of applause, those who have given their lives for the Lord. Now, I, we're clapping when it's kind of, you know, it's kind of polite, okay? It's kind of like, yay. But uh, I want us all to stand in honor of those that are here, and let's give them a round of applause that really shows our appreciation. Can we do that? Thank you. Please be seated. As you can tell by the title today, it goes along with what we're talking about, the applause of God above all. That is hopefully what you and I as disciples of Christ are seeking. And Jesus has been describing now for the past several Sundays in Matthew chapter 7 this sort of, well, it's not really a, a favorite topic uh, because I think sometimes this sort of topic sort of cuts to the heart. It, it sort of makes us uncomfortable. It's the topic of hypocrisy, basically. And we've been describing how to be an authentic disciple of Christ that practices what disciples should practice. It's not just about coming to know faith in Christ, but through faith in Christ, there's a new heart, a new mind, a new life, a new attitude, and a new way of living, and a new way of living out the life that we have as a disciple, as a Christ follower. And so what he is encouraging his disciples to do is to practice an authentic practice in so to avoid hypocrisy. He doesn't want his disciples to be hypocrites. Did you know that that's more than likely the number one attack against the church today? It's the topic of hypocrisy. It is those who are claiming to be one thing and living another. Those who claim to be one thing and who live, who say, and who do another. Now, the reality is that every one of us in this room, more than likely, has some hypocrisy in our lives. Because right now, there more than likely are things that you know that you should be doing that you're not doing, and things that you should not be doing that you are doing, and as a result of that, you're living somewhat in an area in which you could be labeled a hypocrite. But a hypocrite, according to the words of Jesus in this text, is even deeper than that. The word hypocrite here is a word in which Jesus is describing to those who are seeking to play a game. They are wearing a mask. They are play acting as if they were in a play on a stage, seeking then to deceive those who are watching them perform. They're play acting. They're like actors that have a role and they have a part, and they're trying to project themselves in such a way that as you evaluate and see them, you will then conclude something that's not reality. That is a form of hypocrisy. And as we think about hypocrisy, there are two things that I want us to really think about this morning as we zero in on this passage of Scripture in regard to fasting. 
It's hard for me to believe that someone would want others to, uh, they, 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 they use hypocrisy of fasting. I mean, why not choose something else? I don't know about you, but I love food. <laughs> and if I'm going to try to impress you with something else, it's certainly not going to be without doing without food. You know what I'm talking about? But anyway, but we have some people here who are fasting, but they're fasting for the wrong reasons. They're the wrong motives. And they want other people to look at them. And as they observe their lives, they see them in this state of, of projecting this spirituality. And as they project this spirituality, they are assuming that, wow, they're spiritual. They're really committed to God. What a sacrificial servant of the Lord they are. And they're trying to gain the affirmation, the acceptance, the approval, and the applause of other people as they are practicing or performing this subject of fasting. Now, there are two types of hypocrisy in this pretense. There are those who project and who practice this hypocrisy, and they think, they think they're fooling others. But in the discerning audience, they recognize and realize you're doing a bad job acting and there's no way in the world that I'm going to buy what you're selling. And so there are many who have this delusion that they are projecting this hyper-spirituality and they think in their minds that they are deceiving people around them in regard to their true spiritual condition, which in, they're not spiritual at all. They think that they're disguising that and they're causing other people to affirm, to approve, and to applaud their practice or their profession or their projection. And the reality is people know that they're faking it. So in your performance, if there's no one doing this, what does that mean? You're doing a bad job acting, doesn't it? But there are some of us who are so good at it that we have projected ourselves in this practice of hyper-spirituality so that as we present ourselves in this projective hyper-spirituality, we are able then, because of our performance, convince others that we are, in fact, what we are not. And that's what's happening here. There are some people that are projecting themselves in such a way that as those who observe their play acting, they are then saying, wow, look at them. Aren't they spiritual? Now, Christmas is coming up, and I can't wait, and I know I'm on the top of your Christmas list, right? I said, I know I'm on the top of your Christmas list. I need a better response than that, okay? Just go ahead and be a hypocrite and lie and tell me I am, and then just forget about it, okay? Our children used to get together on Christmas when they were small. We would go to East Texas to my father-in-law and my mother-in-law's house, that's Patty's parents, and my brother-in-law, who's a pastor in the Atlanta area, had three children, and we have three, and our six would get together when they got a little bit older, and in order to entertain them, you know what I'm talking about, you got to keep them busy, and so in order to get them busy and entertained, we somehow invited them and they, they bought it to come up, to go in a room for hours and to rehearse and to get together a skit or some plays and some performances. And then we would sit as the audience and we would watch them perform. And it, it worked well. It, it was, it's a good trick. So if you're looking for something to occupy your kids with on the holiday season, that works well if your kids are old enough to pull that off. 
And so for hours, they'd be in the back bedroom with the door closed and they'd be rehearsing and they'd be working on it. And finally the time would come and they would line themselves up and we would sit down, you know, as the audience and we would watch them and they would perform. Now, some of them were better than others because they were younger and some are better actors. But it's interesting that, that two of my sons became pastors. My daughter married a pastor. Two of my brother-in-law's sons are pastors. And his only daughter now is, is married to a deacon. It's bizarre, I know. So, uh, but when they would perform, when they would get through, what do you think we as parents and the one set of grandparents, what do you think we did? No matter how well it was performed or how badly they performed, what did we do? We would applaud. Why? We want to affirm. We want to approve. And so we applaud. In spite of their performance, sometimes was better than others, and some of them were better than others, and some of them were more talented than others, and some of them were younger, and some of them were older. We applauded each and every one of them the same. Why? Because we want to encourage them in what they are doing. Applause is not a bad thing. But what counts in the applause is why is the applause being sought? Children want their parents' approval. They want their parents to affirm them. Am I right, parents? Grandparents, you have little children. They're going to be doing something around the house, and as they're doing it, they're going to be looking at you. Why? They want to make sure that you've got their eye on them, that you see what they're doing, you affirm what they're doing, you approve what they're doing, and if they do something really good, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're doing awesome. Jesus knew that our human nature is such that we are going to grow up with this appetite for the applause, for the affirmation, and for the approval of people. It's part of who we are. It's grafted in our DNA. And Jesus wants his disciples to be very careful in this whole process of the affirmation, the approval, and the applause of man. Because there are some religious elite that are running around the area in which Jesus is teaching in the Sermon of the Mount that are projecting something. They are so good at play acting that others around them have been convinced that they are what they're projecting. And Jesus says, you are nothing but hypocrites. And he wants his disciples to avoid hypocrisy. So let's take a look at the text. And I want us to go to Matthew 6, beginning with verse 16 through verse 18, and I want us to ask the question, how do I secure the approval of God? How do I secure the approval of God? So we're going to look at F-A-S-T. Since Jesus talks about fast instead of a, an alliteration, we're going to go with an acrostic, F-A-S-T. How do I fast to gain God's approval? Or how do I live my life, not just in the year of fasting, but in every year of my life, to secure the approval of God, even though there may be times in, a, in, a, in securing the approval of God, I may not secure the approval of people. And so let's take a look at it. Number one, the F in, what's the word? Fast stands for follow. 
If you want to secure God's approval, you've got to follow his lead, to follow his leadership. If you follow anyone else other than Christ, you're going to receive the applause, the affirmation, and the approval of man, but more than likely, you will not receive the approval of God. For he says, Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, and when you fast... Verse 16, and when you fast. I want you to notice the word and is a big word. It is a continuation of what Jesus has already been saying. He's saying, in light of what I have just said, he has taken several subjects that he so far has talked about in chapter 6, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, where he has dealt with, what was the first? Come on now. What was the first? Giving. The number two was pray. Have you guys slept since then? Number three was about forgiving. Now he's going to talk about hypocrisy in fasting. You can give hypocritically. You can give in such a way as to draw attention to your gift to receive the affirmation, the applause, and the approval of man. You can pray in such a way. And they were doing that. In the city streets, they were praying at opportune times, and they placed themselves in places they could be seen and heard where others would say, wow, what a prayer warrior, what an awesome spiritual leader you are. Wish I could pray like that. And they were doing that to do what? To get the affirmation, the proof, and the applause of others, not of God. And he says, let me teach you how to pray in which you can get the approval of God. We saw that a couple of Sundays ago. Last Sunday, we talked about forgiveness. You can say, I forgive you, and yet not forgive, and yet be hypocritical in what you say and in how you act, and never forgive. And so he's saying here, if you want to then live an authentic life, gaining and securing the approval of God, follow the lead of the Lord. Follow Christ. And when you follow in his footsteps and you follow his example, you will avoid hypocrisy. And when, notice the word when, the word when is a huge word. It's an expectation here. Jesus is expecting, he is anticipating that his disciples are going to fast. He's expecting and anticipating that his disciples are going to fast. He doesn't command us to fast. He commands us to give. He commands us to pray. He commands us to forgive. But here, he doesn't command us to fast. It's not a command. It's, it's kind of a suggestion, but not really. Jesus anticipates and he expects that at some point, his disciples are going to fast. Jesus one time was criticized because he said, why don't your disciples pray, I mean pray, why don't your disciples fast like John the Baptist? And he said, because why should we fast when the bridegroom is here? He said, my disciples don't fast now because I, the bridegroom, are here. There will be a time later on in which they will fast. Jesus knows that later on in Acts, he knows that the church is going to fast and his disciples will fast, but not now. So he is saying to us, I expect you to fast. Jesus expects his disciples to fast. So he says, and when you. Notice the identification. The identification is toward you who are his disciples. These are not words to unbelievers. They are not words to those who are the religious. They are words to those who have an intimate connection with the Father through faith in the Son. Those who are committed disciples of Jesus. And when you who are my disciples. And when you fast. What is a fast? A fast simply means doing without food. It means that you just decide for, for uh, 
spiritual reasons that you're going to step back from, from physical and food uh, for a while, and you're going to connect on an intimate, personal level with God, and that connection is going to be more intense and more personal and more self-sacrificing and more centric than it possibly has been before. A fast is simply that, and we understand according to, I wish we had time to talk about the fast, but we don't, but, but the fast that is described here is, I think, a discipline that has been long forgotten by many in the church today, especially among those of us who are Baptists. Why? Because we love to eat. I said we love to eat. What you're going to be doing in about 30 minutes, you're going to be headed towards somewhere. You're not going to be eating yet because we're not going to be quite done yet, but you're hopefully on the way to somewhere to eat, right? We love to eat. That's why I love about being Baptist. We got some of the best cooks here. If you don't believe me, come to the church office. On, on, I could, no, I'm not going to tell you which mornings to come because you'll come and you'll get our stuff out of the fat room and I don't want to share it with you. But anyway. It's not the break room, we call it the fat room. But anyway, um, a fast is a discipline that is a spiritual discipline, I think, that is, is something that, that is beneficial for the Christ follower. And there are multiple fasts, but a fast primarily is doing without food in order to connect and communicate with God on a deeper personal level. Jesus fasted in John chapter Four, did he not? Jesus is preparing for ministry, and as he's preparing for ministry, he comes and he is baptized by John the Baptist, right? And the Spirit of God descends upon him, and he's anointed with the Spirit of the Lord. And as soon as he gets through, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord led him into the desert. He led him into the desert. Now, we could talk about the temptation, which is a part of the experience of the desert, but Jesus, while he was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted. 40 days and 40 nights without food. Not without water, but without food. You can't live 40 days without water. And he fasted for 40 days. Why did he do that? To connect and to communicate with his father in preparation for the ministry that God was about to initiate through him. Fasting is something Jesus did. And as a disciple of Christ, there are times in which we are going to be led by the Spirit of God, just like Christ, to fast. And it should always be an option. It should always be on the table for the disciple of Christ who wants to connect deeper on a more sensitive, personal level with the Lord. For Jesus did it. He says, but when you fast, in verse 17, when you are led by me, there is an an expectation that we're going to fast, but there's a correction here. When you fast, there are perimeters that I have for you when you do it. So he says, when you do it, make sure that you're led of the Spirit and then follow my corrective advice. So F stands for follow. 
The A stands for I must apply now his precepts. Once I follow the leadership of the Lord and he leads you to follow, remember it's not a command, it's a leading of the Spirit of the Lord in which he leads you to fast, to connect and communicate with him on a deeper personal level. You then apply the precepts that Jesus gives here and this is the only place that he gives us any sort of perimeters or parameters in regard to fasting. Really this is about it. And in this very small aspect of the Sermon on the Mount, there, there's a whole, whole, there's several truths here that I think that, that I want us to consider very quickly. I want you to look at the text. It says in verse 16, two things that he says, the don'ts and the do's. I wish he started with the do's first, but he starts with the don'ts second. So what are the don'ts? Don't, do not. Look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Don't participate. Don't practice under any circumstance, by any form or fashion, these things. First of all, don't display a form of hypocrisy. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces. Don't look like that. I've always wondered, what does a disfigured face look like? Turn to your neighbor and give him a disfigured face. Go ahead. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of Eeyore. I'm old and I just walk around like that. I'm fasting. I got a disfigured face. You know, it, it's, it's an appearance that is to be pitied, that is to be sorrowed. It's, it's an appearance that's to display there's something going on with that person. They look out of the ordinary. And he says, don't display yourself when you fast in such a way in, in, that you look gloomy and that you distort your appearance. He said, don't display hypocrisy, but he says, don't deceive others, doesn't he? You're doing that for the reason so that you'll be seen by others. But as they evaluate what they're seeing, they're going to form a conclusion that is inaccurate because they're going to assume that you are doing it for spiritual reasons and that your heart is right and your motives are right. But the reality is the reason why you're doing it is to impress others rather than impress God. You're not doing it for the real reason of connecting and communing with God. You're doing it in order so that others may affirm you, may approve of you, may applaud you. Yay, look how spiritual they are. They sing it, they talk it, they look it. Man, that is awesome. And then he says, don't display a false hypocrisy or deceive others, but don't deprive yourself now of the eternal rewards for having done the discipline of fasting. For he says, truly I say to you, that's all you get. When others evaluate your hypocrisy and they think that you're something that you're not and they affirm, approve, and applaud you, that's the only reward you're going to get. That's it. And you have just forfeited every reward that is eternal because of what you have done. 
Imagine there are many people who have done many things. They're going to come to the time in which they arrive in heaven, and they are not going to be applauded by the Father because they have done those things the wrong way, for the wrong reasons, with the wrong heart, and he does not approve or affirm or accept. Yes, they sat at the head of the table. Yes, they stood center stage. Yes, they received the applause. Yes, they got the plaque on the wall, but that was all they got. And now for all eternity, that's gone because when Christ comes and retrieves his church, this world's going to be nothing like we know it today. And more than likely, all those plaques are going to come down and all that earthly recognition will disappear. Because I had a pastor one time who made a statement, and I love this statement. He said, hero today, zero tomorrow. Because as soon as you're the hero today, Somebody else is going to out-trump you tomorrow, and you'll be soon forgotten. So you're going to be forced into do something else to out-trump them so that you can get the seat, and then somebody else is going to out-trump you, and you're going to have to continue to play that game to the point where at some point you can't afford it anymore. And so he says, don't deprive yourself of eternal treasure. But notice in the do, I like the do, the do, I like alliteration, so do scent your body and do sanitize your body. There's a scenting and there's a sanitizing, I can't say the word, sanitizing that needs to take place. He says, and he talks about the anointing of oil. He said, I want you to anoint your head with oil. And most of the oils had a scent. Why did they have a scent? To cover up another scent. That's why you put on cologne today. That's why many of you put on perfume. You want to give off a scent And so he said, I want you to anoint your head, and I want you to wash your face. That means I want you to take a bath. I want you to do personal grooming. So turn to your neighbor and say, did you do any personal grooming today? I hope you took a shower and you put on some nice, sweet, smelly stuff. Be careful, because there's some who are sensitive to that, I know. But uh, that's why she sits up here, to get away from all you smelly people. (laughs) But he's saying, don't draw attention to yourself, is basically what he's saying, do. Look, appear, and project yourself so that no one knows that you're fasting. Don't publicize it. Don't promote it. Don't project it. Can't have that. I'm fasting today. No, no, no. I'm, I'm spiritual. I, I can't have that. Make sure that when you fast, it's not for dietary reasons either, so you can lose some weight. That's the wrong motive for fasting, okay? Well, I'm real spiritual. I've lost 20 pounds. I've I've fasted. Well, you really did it to lose weight. You didn't really do it for spiritual reasons. And so he wants us to be very careful to apply his precepts. Once I follow his lead and apply his precepts, I then find myself with the S, that is to seek his approval alone. It's important that we seek his approval alone. I mean, the question really is in life, who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to please? I mean, we would think that our children would want to please their parents. There are some children that never rise above that, and they continue, even as adults, to live their lives in order to gain the affirmation, the approval, and the acceptance of their parents. If you don't have it by the time you're an adult, more than likely you're never going to get it. 
Sometimes parental expectations are not God's expectations. But here we have this whole concept of seeking the affirmation, the approval, and the applause of someone. I've already mentioned the fact that we are born with that innate ability to want to rise to the level of performance so that others affirm and applaud and approve of our performance. And Jesus says in verse 18, notice what he says, that your fasting may not be seen by others. You are to fast in such a way that you don't fast hypocritically, that you not be guilty of hypocrisy, that you're not seeking the applause, the affirmation, or the approval of anyone other than God. That's the true motive for fasting. Anything else is hypocrisy. I ran across an interesting story while I was doing some research this week. It's a story about this couple that was invited to uh, an outdoor performance by uh, uh, by young Suzuki violin students. Young Suzuki violin students. If any of you don't know, Suzuki violins are probably top of the line, right? Following the concert, an instructor spoke briefly on how the children, how children as young as two, three, and four years old are taught to play violin. The first thing he said children learn is a proper stance. First thing they learn. A proper stance. The second thing children learn, even before they pick up the violin, is how to bow. How to bow. He then added to the audience, if the children just play the violin and stop, people may forget to show their appreciation. But when the children bow, the audience invariably applauds. And applause is the best motivator we found to make children feel good about performing and want to do it well. Applause motivates children, but children are not the only ones that want applause. Adults want recognition as well. And we want affirmation, and we want approval, and we want applause. So whose approval are we seeking? Jesus says, but they, but by your Father who is in secret, we are to seek the approval of whom? The Father. It's the Father's approval that we seek. It's his affirmation that should be the utmost concern of our hearts and the condition of our hearts. No matter whether we impress others or not, I'm not saying that you go around walking like a, uh, and, and living like a jerk where you don't care what other people think at all, but I'm saying that you care more about what God thinks than what other people think because sometimes to please people, you're going to not please God because people are carnal and sinful and they want what they want and I want what I want. And it's hard sometimes to please God and not people because sometimes those two are not one and the same. So whose affirmation are you seeking? I know what you're thinking. Well, what if nobody sees it? I think the little word secret is a cool word. It says, by your father who sees where? In secret. No one else may recognize what you have done, but the father sees it. You, you may never sit at the head of the table. You may never sit center stage and, and receive the plaque. You may never get the applause of people, but God who sees what you do in the secrecy of your heart, who understands and knows the motives of your heart and the intent of your heart and the condition of your heart, he who sees the condition of the heart and knows why you've done it. You've not done it for recognition or a firm affirmation or approval or applause of people. You've done it for God. You've not got it from people, but you know what? You're going to get it from God. Because it's from God that you get the right kind of affirmation and an eternal applause. 
And he says, seek the approval of God alone. Don't worry about impressing people. But the S not only says seek his approval, but the T helps us understand that seeking his approval alone, we must then trust his discretion. We must trust his discretion. There's a reason why I use the word discretion. Because you see, it is God and God alone who is sovereign. It is God and God alone who reigns and rules on his throne. It is him who gets to dictate who gets rewarded and what those rewards are and when those rewards are given. He is the sovereign one, and it is he who gets to pick when, where, and how the rewards are granted. Not us, but him. And there's sometimes that we think sometimes when we do something and no one sees it, no one affirms it, no one applauds it, that no one has recognized it, and we feel a little bit minimized by what we've done. But if our heart is right and we've done it under the Father, we must then assure ourselves that he who saw it in secret will one day reward me. Notice what he says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's interesting in this text, there's a relationship here. He is our father. We are adopted by him as sons and daughters of the father through faith in Christ. We have been brought into the family, and now he is our Abba. He is our daddy. Remember we talked about in the prayer, and as he is our Abba, our father, our daddy, he sees us. As we see our children when they're doing something, we want to see if we're looking. God's always looking. He is everywhere all the time. He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. And there is nothing that you can do, even in the secrecy of of your own heart, that God doesn't see it and God doesn't know it. He, as your Father, in that relationship, recognizes what you have done. And when he recognizes it, he promises that he will reward it. He will reward it. The Apostle Paul understood that very clearly. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy 4. And I'm going to close with this. 2 Timothy 4. Notice what he says. The Apostle Paul knew this. As he was writing to young Timothy in his second letter, verse 6, 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am already being poured out as as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He knew that there would be a reward on that day. One of the days, the trumpet of God is going to blow, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those of us who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we will be forever with the Lord, and on that beautiful day, we will be rewarded. Paul said, I'm going to be rewarded on that day, but notice he says at the end of the verse, and not only to me, not only to me, but also to a few of you. Know what he says? No. Not only to me, but also to all, to all who have loved his appearance. To all who have loved his appearance. A young man once studied violin under a world-renowned master violinist. Eventually, the time came for the student's first recital. 
Following each selection, despite the cheers of the crowd, the performers seemed dissatisfied with the applause of the audience. Even after the last number with the shouts louder than ever, the talented violinist stood watching an old man in the balcony. Finally, the elderly gentleman smiled and nodded at the young man on center stage in approval. Immediately, the young man had relaxed and beamed with happiness. You see, the man in the balcony was the young man's teacher, and thus the applause of the crowd had meant nothing to him until he had first won the hearty approval of his master. Whose approval are you seeking? By the life that you live and the practice that you exhibit. And unless he nods, and unless he smiles, and unless he stands, and unless he applauds, it's simply not worth it. It's simply not worth it. Let's pray.